take your seat, welcoming the house of the Lord. What a wonderful place to be this morning, amen? So uh, thank you for your prayers, those who prayed for me whilst I was in New Zealand. I had a wonderful week, uh, action-packed week. Um, so I came back on Friday morning and on Thursday I think they talked about this aeroplane in Egypt who fell out of the sky, was blown up. And you, as any person, would sit there and go, another aeroplane has fallen out of the sky and you've got to get on a plane and fly back four hours to New Zealand or to Australia. But we don't operate in fear, do we? No, we don't. Because God has got our lives in His hand. And He's a sovereign God. Who believes that? I absolutely believe that He is a sovereign God. It is proved so many times. He's in charge of everything. You know, people... Uh, go frantically around, you know, who's going to be the President of the United States? Is it going to be this? It's the end of the world. If Trump comes in, it's more even the end of the world. If Hillary comes, comes in, and it's all over the place. And people get so fearful about what's going go, to happen in Australia. You know, is, who's it going to be? But I read the Bible, and the Bible says that God put governments in place. So he's got his hand over everything. Yes, we've got our opinions and we can voice our opinions, but God ultimately is the one who decides. So uh, we follow him and we worship him. And we don't fret and we don't fear. We don't look at the newspapers to encourage us. Did you find any encouragement out of the newspaper this week? None. Every single news thing that will happen is in the Bible. Did you know that? The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. So nothing surprises me. And people will do all things. And uh, yes, Andreas, you prayed this morning as in the days of Noah. But you see what I see as in the days of Noah? It's not only the signs that the world is falling apart. In the days of Noah, the Bible says, Jesus said, they were giving to marriage. And they continued with their lives as if nothing is going to happen. That's the biggest sign. The world is continuing on today as if nothing's going to happen. He's not going to come. Where is your Jesus, they say? Where is he? He he, he promised he was going to come. Look at it. It's 2016. He ain't coming. And they continue with their lives, but there is a big shock that's coming to this earth. A big shock. And then they will run to the mountains and say, fall on us. But that's a different message. This morning, we are following Jesus, yes? And uh, 
I want to talk to you about commitment today. Commitment. And a word that we're going to follow this morning and read in the text is where Jesus did not commit himself to the crowds. Now, commitment is a very important thing. We are committed to many things in life, aren't we? There are many things, if we come up to them, we say we are committed. Marriage is one of those things. We are committed to one another. Good friendships is one of those things. We are committed to one another. And it reminded me, as I've read up about Julius Caesar, when he was conquering the world, or trying to conquer the world, he tried to conquer Britain. So, he got on his ships, and they landed on the shores of Britain. And he marched his mighty army out, the Roman army, and they, they got on the land, and he, and he told the generals to march them up onto a cliff. And as they marched onto the cliff, they could see smoke on the water, but they didn't know what it was. So as they came on, and every single soldier could see what was going on, they saw that all of the ships that they came in were afire. And this is what Caesar did. He told his generals, as soon as the soldiers are off, to burn the ships. To let them understand that this is a commitment to the end. There is no retreating. There is no running back to his ships to go back to Rome. No, they are here to conquer. What he wanted from his men was a total commitment. And that's what he got. He went through all of that to get their commitment. Now, I'm not Julius Caesar this morning, and I'm not burning ships here this morning, but I want to tell you about a man who was on this earth and who asked every single one to follow him. Now, just in your Bibles, open up for me in the book of Matthew first. Matthew chapter 4. For the last few weeks, and in fact for the last few months, I've been asking you to walk with me as I follow Jesus. And I've been asking you to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we learn more things about Him. And as we learn more things about Jesus, guess what happens? Our faith is built. Our trust in Jesus is growing. Our commitment to Him is growing. Now look at this verse here. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 18. We're going to start there. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. You see, they were busy with their daily work. Their busyness. And Jesus is just walking. And see what happens now. He says, then he said to them, follow me. That is the same command that Jesus is doing this morning to you and me. He says, follow me. You see, because he's got something that he can offer us. We've got nothing that we can offer him. But he's got so much. And he wants to share it to you. This is why he'd look at these men with their daily business and he says, follow me. And I will make you fishes of men. Now I like the next verse because it says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. You get the picture of Julius Caesar burning those ships. These men said, look, they let everything go. And they follow Jesus. That is a commitment. And now he continues on to say, going on from there, 
he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately again they left the boat and their father and followed him. And this is the question, this is the call out today to you and me, where Jesus is walking and He says, follow me. We've been doing it now for so many, for a few months now, in the book of John. John chapter 1, John chapter 2. We're going to end with John chapter 2 today, and we're going to go into John chapter 3, just following Jesus. Turn with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is the letter, it's in the back of the Bible, and I want you to just quickly open up there in a verse that I want to read to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, we've had this verse last week, but I want to repeat it to you again, verse 21. You say, why do we follow Jesus? Why Him? Why not anybody else? Why don't we follow the Dalai Lama? Why don't we follow Muhammad? Why don't we follow? No, no, look, we follow Jesus Christ because He is the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's the Messiah God with us. He's not a fake. He's not a shadow. He's the substance. Now look at this verse. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. He says, For to this you were called. You remember when I said when Jesus was walking on the, on the shore and He called these two men? And he said, follow me, and they immediately left everything, and then the other two men. Now Peter says, for this you were called. Uh, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now I want to start today asking you, who are you following? Whose steps are you following? Did you know that man today thinks that he is God? Some people are following their own steps. I'm the centerpiece of the universe. I'm going to follow my own steps. But here we say and we see that Peter tells us that we follow Christ because he is our example. In fact, there's one more verse here too, and that's in the Old Testament, Isaiah. Remember I said in this church we are working through the Bible? I love it when we go and search these scripture verses. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 55. What will happen if we follow Jesus? What will happen? I mean, we're living in a world that a lot of people are lost. They don't know where to go to. They run around. They've lost their minds. And here we find it now where Jesus says, follow me. He's an example. Now look what Isaiah is writing down here in Isaiah chapter 58. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, The Lord will guide you continually. Don't you like it when somebody guides you? And here he says, not only once, the Lord will guide you continually. Continually means it's going to continue on and on and on. And satisfy your soul in drought satisfaction lies within our Lord Jesus Christ. Not according to your wants, but according to your needs. He will satisfy you in the drought period and strengthen your bones. I need the scripture verse this morning. I prayed to you this morning, right there. I said, Lord, I need strength this morning. 
I've had a busy week. You know what he says? He will strengthen your bones. It doesn't matter whether those bones are 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, 60 or 80 years old. He will strengthen your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden. Have you seen a watered garden? It looks lush. It's life in it. There's no death in our Lord Jesus Christ, friends. And he continues, he says, And like a spring of water, whose water do not fail. Those from amongst you, you see, this is the posterity. This now talks about the future. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Isn't the word wonderful? This is what we are doing. We are just following Jesus Christ. We walk in His footsteps. And if you've got a Bible, you open it up and you start reading, you can follow in His footsteps. And we've done that. We saw in chapter 1 the different names which showed the characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, as we're going to go through the book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we see the application of every single one of these titles, these names, the characteristics of God. Now, it could be just words in a book, or anything I preach on every Sunday, or you can apply it to your life as an example, and live by it. So we saw that Jesus Christ is omnipresent when He dealt with Nathaniel. We saw his omnipotence when he turned the water into wine. And, and then last week, just last week, we saw how he drove those people out of the temple. You remember that? And you know what that shows me? It shows me that he is uncompromising. Isn't it wonderful to follow somebody who cannot compromise? Who will not compromise? Who shall not compromise? Who is not compromising? We are living in a world where so many people, even the church, yes, the church, are compromising. They say, no, no, no. The people don't want to hear the messages and we're going to see that today. They don't want to hear the preaching anymore. We need to compromise. We need to bring in, and and unfortunately we can't do it in this place because there's too many lights here and there's too many windows. But they say, no, no, we need to darken the place down, put a spotlight and have a few smoke machines going in the place. Oh, and then when we do the worship, we turn all the lights out. And look, look, our little amplifier here is not good enough. We need more grunting there. You know, the music needs to go through you these days. That's compromising. No, 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 no. The Bible says the Holy Spirit needs to go through you, yes? So who are you going to choose? You're going to choose the gimmicks or you're going to choose the Holy Spirit? You're going to follow the gimmicks or you're going to follow Christ? That's who we are following. And may I come here every single Sunday and remind you of that. And I can say, Amen, now we go home and you know one thing for sure. I want to follow Christ. Not the latest fad that's going on. So let's follow him. Let's go now into the last part of the book of John. And I just want to say at this point, I believe... Oh, in fact, let me put it to you this way, that Bible division came in later when they put in chapters and verses. And it's for us, to make it easier for us. So when John wrote down in the Gospel, he didn't sit down and say, now I'm going to write down John chapter 2 verse 23. 
He didn't do it that way. He wrote it down. Later on, the translators and everybody came in and said, look, we need to make it easy for when somebody preaches to so go, go with me to John chapter 2 and look at verse 23. It makes it easy, isn't it? It's practical. But that wasn't how they written the Bible. Why do you say this? Because I believe that this verse here should have been part of chapter 3. And I'm going to show that to you in the next two weeks. So today is part one. Because we're going to talk about Nicodemus in, in, in next week. And we're going to touch on him today. So follow now with me in John chapter 2 verse 23. He says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Until so far the word of God. You see, that to me is a natural flow. And I'm going to show this to you, how Nicodemus was part of that crowd that stood there that day looking at all these signs that happened. And next week we're going to look at the conversation that Nicodemus had with our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that, look, if I threw everything together today, we would have been here for two hours plus. There's so much here. So many things that we can draw out of this passage. So first of all, we see that he was still at the Passover. You remember he went up to the Passover and for the first time when he came there as the Son of Man, the Son of God, he went into the temple and he saw all of these commotions going on. The Father's house became a merchandise house and he drove them out. That's the same Passover that he was at. And during the feast it says there that many believed in his name. In the name of Jesus. Many believed in his name. This was the name Messiah. You see, because they, as I've said so many times, and going to repeat that, they were looking at a king who could take them out under the Roman authority, under the leadership. Although they were living good lives, they felt oppressed by these people. They wanted to be governed by their own, by themselves. And now they saw this man coming onto the scene. He drives these people out of the, out of the temple and they, they perceive him as the Messiah to come, the Savior. And this is the name that they believed in. Now, all of a sudden, you, you can imagine yourself, he put on this commotion, he drives them out, and now people are recognizing him. And people are following him now. They want to see what's going to happen. Every single time, for 400 years, they've been coming to the temple, and every single time it was the tradition of man. It's the same old thing over and over again. But this Passover, something changed. A man appeared on the scene. And this man, according to them coming every single time out, is the one who's going to become their king. 
We see so many times through the Gospels, they want to they put Him up as a king, they want to exalt Him as a king. Later on, they will curse Him. But now, early stages, they are following Him. They saw Him as this Redeemer, who will redeem them from their predicament. Now the question is, why did they believe? It says, they believed because they saw the signs that He did. The signs which He did. Now, it is really interesting because we don't know what signs he did. Have you thought about that? You might say, wait a minute, it's the sign of, you know, pulling all these people and chasing them all out of the, uh, of, of the temple. And I showed you going back to Malachi, yes, it was a sign. But no, he did signs, plural, many other signs. Now, I want to remind you as you go in your Bible to John chapter 20 that yes, Jesus did do many signs. And John wrote it down for us here in John chapter 20 verse 30. He says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples. You see that? Which are not written in this book. And I believe that the signs which He did at this, which now refers to here, He did those signs... That is part of the signs which is not written in the book. He wasn't just standing there. No, no. He went around and he did signs. And because he did the signs, crowds surrounded him. And now they believed in his name because of the signs that he did. It says in verse 31, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, these people believed in Him as the Messiah to take them out of a predicament. But here, John says there's a different purpose for signs. What is the purpose for signs? He says it right there. That in believing you may have life in His name. You see, signs only point you towards Christ and point you to to a saved life. That's all. Turn with me to 1 John. I I want to just take you a few places again. 1 John, the the letter of John, chapter 5. 1 John is at the back of the Bible, just prior to Revelation. (coughs) You get 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and then you get Revelation. So it's right at the back. Well, look at 1 John, chapter 5. I like it when John writes. He gives us a clear description he just told us there that these many signs, which is not written here, but the ones which is written, point us towards Christ and a saved life. Now in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, let me read from verse 12. He says, He who has the Son has life. I like that. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now is that politically correct or what? I'll tell you what, you stand up on the biggest stage in the world today and say those words, and they'll crucify you for saying that. Yet it is written there, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you're a sinner, you do not have life, and guess what? You are going to hell. It's a physical place. Verse 13. These things I have written to you. This is John telling you and me this. Who believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, they saw the signs 
and they believed in His name. But here He says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, there's some people who say, oh, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or not. I don't know. There's a verse there who says that you may know. That you may know that you are saved. I see so many Christians these days living under a yoke because they don't know whether they're going to sin tomorrow and go straight to hell. Here is a verse that says that you may know. Yes, if you do sin, God will punish and God will correct you. But here is what he says, there is a sign and it shows towards Jesus Christ. You see, they saw the signs and they believed because of the signs. But the thing is, he didn't only do signs. He preached as well, Jesus Christ. He preached. When he was at the synagogue, he came there and what did he say when he chased the people out of the temple? He says, take these things out of here. My father's house is not a house of merchandise. And he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. He doesn't, didn't walk there. He wasn't a mute man. When he did these things, like you and me, he was passionate about it. And he started talking about it. He started preaching about it. And we see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. If you want to open up there, Luke 4, 43. Uh, he says in verse 42, Now when it was day... He departed and went into the des deserted place and the crowd sought him and came to him and they tried to keep him from leaving them. Here we find another crowd, just like the crowd there. But he said to them, I must go, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus Christ preached, but he it was followed by signs. There's a reason why I show you this. Because we are living in the same time as they did. The same thing is happening today. What was his message? Turn a few pages back to Mark chapter 1. Just a few pages. Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 14. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. He says, now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now I want to suggest to you that when he was here in our passage in John chapter 2 verse 23, he was here during the feast. And this feast took for eight days, so he had many time. For eight days Jesus could preach and he could do signs. But here it says that all they did is they believed because of the signs. And friends, we are living in the same time as them. Let me explain. If we do signs in this place, if we, and we are preaching out of a funeral home, I think everybody is aware of that, if we get somebody in here who has been deceased, and we as a church lay our hands on that person, and miraculously they are raised from the death, what's going to happen next week? I'll tell you what, the news 
cameras will be around this place. I will be sitting on sunrise and they will interview me. I will be in the front pages of every newspaper you can get. And I'll tell you what, there won't be parking going on here. They will have to get the police down here to arrange the traffic on this busy road right out there. If there is signs going on, or what if there's an angel appearing right now, right there? What's going to happen? Next week, we will have sunrise here again. We will have 60 minutes. I'll tell you what, everybody will be flogging to this place. And, and you know what they want to see? They want to see the angel. Or they want to see another person raised from the dead. Yet these days when I hear people talk, you know what they say? All of the things they've done, all of the signs they've done, it's the same as these people there. They believe because of the signs. And the problem with signs is this. If you've seen a sign once and you believe in it, next time you want to see a bigger sign. You are never satisfied just by going by signs. And that's the same thing all over and over again. We're living in the same times as these people. Everybody comes and see what can Jesus do. You remember when he drove all of those animals out of the temple? They came to him and said, what sign will you show us that gives you the authority to do this? So people are looking for signs, even in our day. Yet signs was only a confirmation of the message. That's all. I'm not running around for signs. I look at the Word of God. Now it says it right there, and I want you now to see what's going to happen here. He says, but, what does that mean? Sharp contrast. They believed, and at this point, everybody could jump up and down and say, whoo, successful ministry. Look at him, he draws the crowds. Isn't that what's happening as well? You get people and they fill up mega churches. 10,000, 50,000, and they fill up stadiums. And you know what somebody said to me once? He said, well, they must be doing something right because they draw the crowds. Is that what we measure it by? No. Because here is it. There is a crowd. There's many that believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did. But, but, sharp contrast, Jesus did not commit Himself. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them. And at this point you can say, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Honestly, respectfully, what's wrong? I think it's a little bit rude if you do not commit yourself to them, because these people are following you. And it goes on then to say, because He knew all men. You see, Jesus did not commit Himself to them. I want to show you two words here, because it will make you to understand that. The word believed and the word commit is the same word in Greek. It's exactly the same word. It's the word pistio. So in other words, what John is writing down here, he says that Jesus did not have faith in their faith. That's what he's saying. They had faith. They came to Him, but they came for the signs. But Jesus didn't have faith in that faith. And that's why He didn't commit Himself. You see, the Bible also says that we shall not throw the pearls before the swine. You know that verse? 
And there is a time and a place for every single thing. And Jesus here, because He knew all men, He did not commit because He did not have faith in their faith. And you see, faith is very important for you and me. We are people of faith, aren't we? If you're not a person of faith, what are you doing here? We are people of faith and it's very important. But the thing here is, they had the wrong faith. They had the faith in the signs, but not in the Son of God, in the Son of Man, in these words. They didn't have the faith in that. This was seeing signs. I want to see it before I believe it. But we say we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith, don't we? There's no lasting impact in their faith. Uh, you know what's in Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the sower. You remember the parable of the sower? You see these people fall into those brackets. Let's have a quick look at them. Matthew chapter 13 verse, verse 1. Now I know he talks about the word here. When he talks about a man who sows, and in verse 13 he says, then he spoke. In, in fact, look at Matthew chapter 13 verse 1. Because I want to show you this picture. He says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And a great multitude were gathered. you see that? Here in our passage it says that many believed. Many believed in Him. A great multitude. It's the same picture. Here in Matthew 13. He says in verse 2, And a great multitude were gathered together to Him. So that he got into a boat and, and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things be, uh, to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds of, uh, devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, and because they had no death of the earth... But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But, this is a good but, others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He was an ear to hear, let him hear. I want to apply that parable to these people. You see, many people came and they saw the signs and they believed because of the signs. But Jesus did not have faith in their faith. Why? We see it right here in the parable. You see, some fell by the stone. He was talking about the Word of God here. The seed. He gives an explanation later on. He says the seed that the sower sows is the Word of God. It's what I'm preaching today. I'm throwing out seed here today. He said, but some fell by the wayside. You see, they didn't come to hear him preach. They came to see the signs. That's why churches who preach the word of God, ain't, they, they're not full anymore, are they? But the churches who are mega churches and doing the signs and playing on the trickling of the ears, they are packed. But friends, you're in good company. Some fell by the wayside. They said, oh, we're not here for the word yet. We're here for the fun. Church has got to be fun, isn't it? Yay, bring it on. Fun. Boom, boom, boom. No, no. And then the word falls by the wayside. And, and others say, oh, you look, look, look. We'll come to church. We'll have fun. And a, and a little bit. Just a little bit of word, okay? Five, ten minutes. It's, it's right there. All of these people. They fell on stony places. People's hearts are still hardened. 
They hear the word and, ah, geez, you know, I can't be bothered. I've got so much issues in my life, I can't be bothered. And, and some fell amongst the thorns. So people try to make Jesus Christ part of their life, of their busy life. No, no, He don't want to become part of your life. He wants to be your life. That's the difference here. But for those who it fell on good ground, they had multiple. And, and this is the same picture that we saw in these few verses. Have you ever thought that there's so much depth in these few verses at the end of chapter 2? Have you seen this before? These people were there for the signs. And it, and it came all into play right now for us. They had the faith, but it was the wrong faith. The wrong faith. There are thousands of people sitting in churches today with the wrong faith. And if you have the wrong faith, you can be pulled into tradition. If you have the wrong faith, you can be pulled into grace plus law. If you have the wrong faith, my friend, you, you will just look at Jesus to fill your wants, not your needs. So what faith is Jesus looking for? What faith are you looking for then, Jesus? If we, if we say this, what is the true faith then? We get a definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He says now, faith is the substance. Do you know what a substance is? This is a substance. I'm a substance. You can come over and give me a hug. You will feel something. Okay? That chair you're sitting on is a substance. You feel it. Everything around you that you can touch, that's a substance. Now, he says faith is the substance, listen to this, because it doesn't make sense for the natural man, of things hoped for. What is hope? Hope is faith. Hope is the reward for faith. Think about that one. Whenever you read in the Bible, you read faith and hope. Hope always follows faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the chapter of love, it ends with faith and hope. Go and look at it in your Bible. Hope is a promise of the future. And he says it here, faith is the substance, it's the thing, a physical thing we can feel for the future. Think about that. Does it make sense? Now sometimes you need to sit and say, whoa, whoa just give me a few minutes to work that one through. The evidence, now what is evidence? It's physical evidence of things not seen, not seen. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 1 gives the definition, uh, Hebrews 11, chap, uh, chapter 11 verse 1, but uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 and see how it uh, continue to explore that thought. Look at verse 35. He says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You see that? After you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. For yet a little while... And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, listen to this, the just shall live by faith. We're asking what faith this is, okay? 
But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those, listen to this, who believe to the saved saving of the soul. What is the right faith? The faith that pertains to the saving of the soul. You see, these people, their faith wasn't in the saving of the soul. No, their faith was in the name of Jesus. You remember? They believed in the name of Jesus, in the Messiah, the one who can give them what they want. Can you see it here? Can you see the picture? That's the wrong faith. He says now it's the saving faith of the soul. It continues in 1 Peter chapter 1. You need to go there. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse, uh, <clears throat> in fact, I've got it for you on the board here. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 6. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, this is a fantastic scripture verse. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In what do we rejoice, Peter? In this, in what? Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Have you gone through trials in your life? There's only one or two shake the head, so the others, you've had a good run. <laughs> Keep on that run. There is trials in life. He says here, And this you greatly resent, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That, why does these trials happen? That the genuineness of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. You see, sometimes, <laughs> I, I'm in good company, I want to say, because I sometimes go on a rabbit trail. You, you know that. You know, I, I say something and then another thought comes on and I start talking about that and then we come to that thought back. I, I do that oftentimes, I know that. And I try not to do it so often. But I'm in good company because these people, Peter and John and Paul, Paul, he's very good at it. They do the same thing. Did you notice? Because he's, he's got this thought coming out. He says, you have been grieved by various trials. And he, and he really got me. He got me on, a, on, a, on, I'm moving to the front of my seat now because I go through trials. And then I say, what do you want to say now, Peter? And he says, that the genuineness of your faith may be found. That's what he wants to say. But then he goes on to a rabbit trail here, comma, and he goes, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Now, in the past, I thought, why would you say that, Peter? Why not just go forward and say that the genuineness of your faith may be found? Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Then I realized, the more I study it, I realized those in-betweens there is so powerful and so correct. Because in the times of my trials, look, I don't think it is more precious than gold. Do you? Do you, when you're in the middle of a crisis, honestly, sitting down and go... Whoa! This is so much more precious than gold, Lord! No, you don't! But He wants to remind you. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit who inspired Him to write this. I love the Bible, man. The Bible is fantastic. He says it right there. That gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. 
You see, there I was on a rabbit trail. But now let's see what he means. He says, the genius of your faith might be found. Why? Why do we find the genius of our faith? To praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. We love Him, although we don't see Him. Though now you do not see Him, yet, yet believing. That's the same word. That word, yet believing, that word there, is the same word that we found there, and it's the same word that we found there. It's the word pursue, which means that this now is the correct faith. They had the wrong faith. This is the correct faith. Yet believing... You rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And man, in Pentecost, we've got a song that say those words. Don't we? I just forgot how it starts. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the half has never yet been told. And we could sing it over and over and over again like we do. And now he says, receiving the end of your faith. So what is the end of your faith? The salvation of your soul. These people didn't have that. They saw the signs. They weren't, they weren't thinking about the end of this. They didn't thought about salvation. No, no, no. Give us more signs. Give us more. Give us more. Give us more. And if you see one sign, we talk about it during the week. Wow, that was fantastic. Oh man, I loved it when he came over and he touched that person. I could see the legs grow. Woo! And then next week, we invite everybody in. Now, we don't want to want to see legs grow. We want to make bigger signs. This is what we have to deal with. And this is what he says to us. Now, he continues in our passage in John chapter 2, verse 25. He says, And no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in a man. Now this gets me. This gets me. And it should get you as well. Because he says, no need that anybody should stand up here and say, can anybody come here and testify about John Shipman? Tell us about him. And you can talk to my family because they know me better than anyone in this place. They know my good and my bad. And look, the bad is bad sometimes. And they know all of that. No, no, Jesus don't need somebody to come up here and testify about to you. No, he knows you. It is, it is this picture. Imagine. We use that big uh, tool that we've got, imagination, right now. Imagine if you could have a 90-inch TV mounted above your head. Well, maybe we should go a little bit smaller. We need to go through the doors and not bump into each other. But anyway, it's a, it's a big screen TV. And imagine if we can project every thought right now that you have onto that in a visual sense. What are you thinking? There's this big TV above my head. While I'm preaching to you, you can look at me in the face, but you can also look at the TV above my head and see what I'm thinking. That'll be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Because people will be able to see what you think. Now imagine if that is up, and wherever you go, in your workplace, during the week, 
every minute of the day when you sit with the family at night and you sit down and everybody can see what you think on that screen. It's exposed. Nothing to hide behind. Will you be locked up in your room the whole time, (laughs) 24-7, 365 days a year? (laughs) The TV on and off button is broken. You can't turn it off. It's on. (laughs) What will you do? (laughs) Think about that. Would you be ashamed sometimes what is reflected up there? If you think what people have done to you and a certain person and what you want to do with him, it's reflected up right there. You go, oh no, what? No, I don't want to do that. But hey, you thought about it. Jesus says, as you think in your heart. This is the thing. This is the real thing I'm going to tell you now. It is so with our Lord. You see, there's no thought that you have No action that you think that is hidden from him. It says it right there. No one has to testify about you and me to him. Because he knew what is in, what is in man. He knows what's inside of you and me. And you know what? In my mind, every one of us has got that big screen and he is looking down right now and he can see everything exposed. He sees it. He knows what is in man. And you know, it is either a good thing or it's a bad thing. If you are still ridden with sin in a sinful nature, he sees every single thing that's going on in that mind. And you will be judged by that. Every thought, every word. You say, wow, where do you get that? Well, Revelation chapter 2 verse 22 I'm not reading the whole church of Tythyra, but this is of the church of Tythyra. In the church of Tythyra, there was a lady who was a Jezebel. A Jezebel. But I'm not talking about her now. I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking about the people who were standing there that day that he did not commit himself to. He says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, talking about Jezebel, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Unless they repent of their deeds. Unless they repent of their deeds. The Bible is written for you to repent of your deeds. The gospel is the good news so that you can repent of your deeds. The things which you can see. The things which is in man. The correct faith that leads you to salvation of the soul. Not the wrong faith. You get the picture. He says... Unless they repent of their deeds, listen what he will do. I will kill her children with death. Now I know a lot of people say that the book of Revelation is just pictures. But not all of it. I've studied so many times and taught through it. Not all of it. He says, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know. Are we a church here this morning? That means we will know. This is for us as much as it was for them. He says, and all the churches, plural, plural, talking into the future. You see, the book of Revelation has got a local application to the church of Tythyra. It's got a future application. It's a prophetic one, but it's also got a personal application. You and me. 
He says, The churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts. See what I said? Don't take my word for it. He knows your thoughts. Oh, how long is he going to be? I just want to get out of this place and go and do this and that. It's on your screen. Do not let the world put pictures in your mind which will reflect up to God through you. I can go to many scriptures that jumps in my mind now, but for time's sake, let's continue. He says, And I will give to each one of you according to your works. This is how it happens. If you've got a thought and you don't capture it, it will turn out into actions. This is a serious word to these people. And you thought it was only just people seeing signs. There is so much death behind this. Depth. Now let's finish off with our man Nicodemus who comes onto the scene. He says in John chapter 3 verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Now we're going to talk more about this conversation with the rabbi, with Rabbi Jesus next week. Because it's too much to cover for today. But Nicodemus came to him by night. And you know the reason why I say that I believe Nicodemus was part of the many? Because you see what the many did? It was many believed in his name when they saw the signs. Here we find Nicodemus coming to him and the first words that he says give him away. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from, from God for no one can do these signs. I want to suggest to you that Nicodemus was standing in the crowds when Jesus did the signs. And he also believed in the name. But there was different, something different about this man that I liked. He came by night, the word says. Some people came out there and they boldly say that he was afraid. That's why he came by night. It might be so. I don't know. I don't know Nicodemus personally. I couldn't ask him that question. But this is what I do know. That if there were many by day surrounding Jesus, he would have no time to sit down with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus would have no time to sit down and talk to him. So by night time, when all the people went to their places, Jesus is alone now. He took the opportunity to go to Jesus. Nicodemus, it was a Greek name, yet he's a Jew. He's a Greek name, but he's a Jew. Not only that, or, or the name, in fact, is a really interesting name. If you think about the name Nicodemus, Nico means conquest, and Demas means people. So his name means that he was victorious amongst the people. Nicodemus, conquer Demas, people. So this man's name and his character is one of those that comes out for that, who's not going to be just one of the crowd. He, he wanted to find out more. And he approached Jesus. By the way, by the way, if you read in the book of Revelation, it says to one of the churches, I have it against you, twice, twice he says it, that you follow the Nicothelians. Nicothelians, again, conquer people, is people conquerors. 
Watch out for them. Nicodemus wasn't such a man. He was a victorious one in the people. He was also a very rich man. We find him with Joseph of Arimathea when they went to get Jesus' body. You remember that? Joseph of Arimathea, he was there. And they brought the things to put on the body and that cost a lot of money and he was there. Not only that, he was also a ruler. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees was that the group of people who wanted to keep the traditions up. But the Pharisees also believe, and we're going to find this in his conversation with Jesus next week, this is all going to come out. Because the Pharisees also believe that you can become holy through the law. And it is bit by bit by bit you get holier. Listen very carefully what I'm telling you now. Because the law or the teaching of the Pharisees is so ingrained of the churches today, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. It's preached from the pulpits, but people are deaf by ear, they can't even pick it up. But I'm declaring to you today that the Pharisees aren't dead today. They are alive as they were alive back then. They are the ones preaching law and tradition from our pulpits today. He was one of those. He was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees believed in the law, traditions. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was sitting... He was also a teacher because later on we will find that Jesus mentions that as a part of... So he was a ruler of the Jews, but he came to Jesus. That tells me something else. It tells me that not everybody amongst the Pharisees believed that Jesus was that bad. Some of them believed in him, and he was one of those who did that. He, he, his traditions made him blinded, but there was something else in this man that pulled him. And I want to, to end with, with another passage in the book of Matthew. You see, the Bible says that there were many who believed. How many did come to him at night? Only one. And then, we have one of the most interesting conversations of, I would say, not the whole Bible, but certainly one of the top conversations about being born again. Turn with me for a last time now to Matthew chapter 13. You remember that's the parable which I just showed you of the sower? So Jesus just completed the parable of the sower. I just want to show you something in your Bible. Remember, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he did not have faith in their faith. Look at Matthew chapter 13 verse 1. He says, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. I've read it before, but I want to make a point here. Look at this. And a great multitudes were gathered together to him. Great multitudes, lots of people, yeah? Then he gives them the parable. Look at verse 10. He says now, and the disciples came and said to him. Was that a great multitude? No. In verse 1, we've got the great multitudes. They listened to Jesus talking and they went their way. And who came to him? The disciples. Only a few. In John chapter 2, uh, two verse 23, many believed in the signs. Who came to him? Just one. To whom did he commit himself? To that one. To Nicodemus. Because he started talking to him about the right faith. The faith that will come to the saving of his soul. Here we find the same picture. He says, and the disciples came to him 
and said, Who do you speak? Why do you speak to them in parables? Now listen to Jesus' answer. He says, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Multitudes saw the signs. Here Jesus do the same thing. He gives them. He commits himself to the disciples to tell to him, to them. Here he commits to Nicodemus. He says, For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus is describing our people here in John chapter 2, the ones who just saw the signs. And look, it's the same today. You tell people, read the Bibles, and you know what they say? Yeah, but we don't understand it. Yes? Oh, we, you know, I don't get it. I don't get the Bible. You know, I read the passage, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Well, you're not lying. You're actually telling the truth. You need to come to Jesus and to get real faith and let Him put His faith in you. But it comes via repenting, being born again, and that faith. You see? He's not going to cast his pearls before the swine. And we see much of that happening today. I'll continue on. He says, They hear, but they cannot hear. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, but not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing, and the eyes have closed. Lest they should see the eyes and hear with the ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. But, this is a good but. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Wow. Only a few verses at the end of chapter 2. But so deep. So who are you this morning? What faith have you got? Are you one in the crowd who looks at the signs? Or do you want to hear and understand and see and read? It is important. It is very important for us to understand that. So I want to give to you this morning, Jesus wants to be committing to you. Come to Him. Come to Him. Approach Him. Talk to Him like Nicodemus did. Do it by night, do it by day, I don't care. But come to Him. Submit to Him. Commit to Him. Call upon Him. Because you know, you know what it is said there in the book of Revelation. Each one will be judged according to his works. Commitment is very important. And what he's asking you and me is to follow him. Let's pray.